Good morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to all our brothers and sisters who have joined us in church this morning for worship of our triune God. We also extend a special welcome to all the visitors who have joined us this morning here in church and to those who are with us remotely via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel and may God be praised and glorified by our worship. Consistory has the following announcements. Sister Shimon Bolhost, knee spiker, has arrived with an attestation from the Free Reform Church of Darling Downs. We welcome this sister into our congregation. The following members have requested their attestations. Sister Casey Klein to the Free Reform Church of Rockingham. Sister Chantelle Arkaboom to the Free Reform Church of Melville. And Brother Otoniel Gakona to the Free Reform Church of Byford. We wish all three of them the Lord's blessings as they settle into their new congregations. You're reminded that the wedding of Brother Otoniel Gakona and Sister Samantha Hoovink will take place this Friday at 1pm in the Free Reform Church of Byford. Due to the periodic retirement of Elders J. Bron, J. van der Linden, R. van Joon and W. Visser, as well as Deacons A. Klein and M. Oldenberger, Consistory invites the congregation to submit names of brothers deemed suitable to serve in the office of elder and or deacon. The letters of nominations must be substantiated and signed and are to be handed to the secretary prior to the meeting of consistory with deacons scheduled for tomorrow evening. Consistory as elders only will meet tomorrow evening at 7.30pm followed by consistory with deacons at 8pm. This morning's service will be led by Brother Plater, before we commence this worship service, let us sing together from Psalm 93, verse 4. Brothers and sisters, let us rise for worship. Let us confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. And God greets you this morning, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us continue and sing a song and rejoice and sing praise to our God for his glorious kingship with Psalm 97 verse 1 and 4.
In Deuteronomy 5, our God gives the ten words of his covenant law. And so we'll read that together and we'll see it as a law of thankfulness. But also, as we read the law, we see also how far, far short we have fallen of God's requirements. So let us, as we hear his word, let us look into that perfect mirror of his law. So Deuteronomy 5. And the Lord's Excuse me. And the Lord spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold them guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. And of course for us, those who are in Jesus Christ, this is also us. We've been delivered from the slavery of our sin by God's mighty hand and his outstretched arm. And God continues, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And our Lord Jesus Christ summarized the law in this way. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Well, let us now sing a psalm of confession. It's the words of Psalm 51, verse 1, 2, and 4.
Since it is God and God alone that we have offended by our sin, let us now call upon him in prayer and ask him to change and purify our hearts by his word. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, Lord, you are a king over all the earth. Your glory surrounds your throne, which is firmly based on your, your perfect righteousness. Lord, nothing compares to you. For who can measure the sea in their hand, or who can measure the expanse of space? Lord, the greatest in this world that we can stand before you are but like a drop in the bucket. All of our glory is, is but dust on a scale compared to your glory and your greatness. Father, you are King of kings, you are Lord of lords. As we sang together, your, your throne is exalted, it is supreme forevermore. But Almighty God, we confess that that we have not lived as your faithful subjects in, in your kingdom. We confess that we have sinned against you in, in thought, in word, and in deed. Lord, we have sinned against you not only in what we've done, but also in what we've left undone. And Lord, even as we desire to serve you, and even as we delight to do your will, we acknowledge that sometimes the things that we want to do, we don't do. And the sins that we don't want to do, that's the very things that we do. And Father, we confess with the psalmist here that it's only against you and you alone that we have sinned. And so, Father, we pray with the psalmist that you would create in us a pure, clean heart, that you would renew a steadfast spirit deep within us. Father, give us new life to strengthen and sustain us in our walk of faith. Change us by your word that we may serve you, that we may honor you and glorify you. And Father, since it is pleasing to you to call us your, your dear children, Father, help us to give you love, to give you the homage that we, that we owe you as children to our Father and as servants of our Lord. Father, we ask all of this for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. So our reading for this morning service is Genesis 39. We'll continue with our series in Genesis. So previously, Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers. And then in Genesis 38, as Joseph is going down to Egypt, we read about Judah going down to the Canaanites. And we see how by his faithlessness, he nearly, nearly destroys his family. But God in his grace saves him through the actions of Tamar. And now we return again to, to Joseph, Joseph in Egypt. So in Genesis 37, it kind of left us off with that statement. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. 
And now we continue with that in Genesis 39. So Genesis 39, and we'll read together the the whole chapter. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The Lord's blessing was on, sorry, the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in, his, in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled out and got out of the house. And she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. And as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison. The prison where the king's prisoners were confined and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So, so far, the reading of God's word, let us now sing together from Psalm 105, verses 6 and 7. And in Psalm 105, we sing of Joseph's suffering in verse 6 and 7, his suffering in the prison.
So as I mentioned, we will continue with, with Joseph in Potiphar's house. And so since we've read Genesis 39 already together, and that will be our text as well, we will continue now to the, the proclamation of the gospel. And afterwards, we'll sing together Psalm 118, verse 1. Dear congregation, loved by our Lord Jesus Christ, at some point in your life, you've probably heard these words, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Now maybe it was written in a card or, or maybe it was said to you with excitement before you, you started some new endeavor in life. And when we hear such a, such a phrase, it's very encouraging for us. And we can quickly think of that well-known and often cited passage from Jeremiah where Jeremiah says, where God says, I should say, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. God has a wonderful plan for your life. It's a, it's a wonderful message and it's encouraging for us when we hear that from other people. However, sometimes we can... We can falsely believe that God's wonderful plan for us means that life is going to go well. That the sign of His, His continual presence in our life is when we succeed and when we prosper. When the sky is blue and then the sun is shining on our backs, that's when we know that we are prospering and that's when we know that God is with us. When we think of a wonderful plan, that's often what we think of. And so when setbacks come and temptations and trials come, we can think that, that suddenly God is, is far from us, that He's absent from us, and that His wonderful plan for our lives has somehow been, been compromised and maybe even forfeited. And yet our passage this morning tells us something very different. Throughout Genesis 39, there is this constant refrain about the continual presence of God in Joseph's life. Verse 2, we read, and the Lord was with Joseph. And verse 3, you read, his master saw that the Lord was with Joseph. And then verse 21, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph. Seven times our text tells us the Lord was with Joseph. It comes back time and time again. And so we see that God was with him in his triumph in the house of Potiphar. We also see that God was with him when Mrs. Potiphar came and, and tempted him. And when he was falsely accused and thrown into prison. Every step of the way we see that God was with Joseph. That God was there in every situation and in his life working his plan of redemption. And from this we also can be encouraged. That we too... That God has a plan for us and that he is with us. And so this is our theme for this morning. The Lord is with you in all of life. And we'll see three things. First, we'll see that the Lord is with you in life's triumphs. And then we'll see in life's temptations. And then finally, in life's trials. So firstly then, the Lord is with you in life's triumphs. So last time when we left off with, with Joseph, we saw that he was being dragged off to Egypt. He's being dragged off against his own will. His brothers, as you may remember, they had, in an act of severe cruelty and wickedness, had sold him into slavery. And so here he was, alone, bound, and as we sang in Psalm 105, fettered, left to the mercy of the Egyptians. And just think about what Joseph may have thought as he was being carried off to Egypt. He didn't want to leave the promised land. He didn't want to leave the community of God, the community which God had promised all these things. And we can imagine him thinking to himself, well, what now? What will come of the promises now? What will happen to the dreams that I had? What about the promises that God made to my family? And so it may have seemed to him that he's, as he was being dragged off to Egypt, that he was being dragged away from the very presence of God. 
And yet we read that God so directed things that Joseph ended up in the house of Potiphar, the captain of the guards. So Potiphar was this higher ranking uh, official. He was in task of taking care of all the criminals, you could say the enemies of the state, those who had been imprisoned uh, because of crimes against Pharaoh. And so he oversaw all of these, these individuals. And we'll read about that more in the next chapter in Genesis 40. And now, so Joseph ends up in the house of this high-ranking official. And what we see is that he, he quickly excels. Despite the, the foreign language that he had to learn, despite the fact that he was an ESL, you could say, Egyptian was his second language, despite the, the lack of knowledge of customs and, and everything else, Despite all those limitations, Joseph exceeds. He does well. The passage tells us that he became a successful man. Verse 2. And the word used for success is the same word that is used in, in Psalm 1 where the psalmist describes the righteous man who flourishes, who is successful. It says, in all he does, he prospers. And so there's this upward progression in the text. Firstly, we see that Joseph ends up in the house of Potiphar. He's just this regular slave. And then what we see in verses, the, the verses 4 and 5, that he's then promoted to, to be the personal attendant of, of Potiphar himself. And as Potiphar's personal attendant, his personal steward, Joseph managed everything in, in Potiphar's household. He took care of the whole estate, all the property, and so if, for example, let's say Potiphar had a nice Airbnb by the Nile, Joseph would have managed that. Verse 6 tells us, it says there, So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, that is Joseph, Potiphar had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. So Joseph's authority was so, so great that he oversaw everything. He saw he managed the accounts, he managed the property care, he managed the business uh, ventures, everything he managed except the breakfast that Potiphar had in the morning. Joseph excels and he becomes second to Potiphar in his authority and responsibility. Now at first glance, as we read through the, the first couple of verses, we might see this as some sort of rags to riches story. As if through hard work and diligence, you know, stiffening the upper lip, buckling down and getting into things that inch by inch and, and little by little, Joseph excels. That he worked his way to the top. And it's true to a degree that Joseph couldn't have got the position that he had without his, his diligence and faithful work. But ultimately, if we see it as a rags to riches sort of um, progression, then We've missed the whole point. As our passage says, the reason for his success wasn't his, his networking skills, it wasn't his overtime hours or, or the initiative that he took. It was because of the very real presence of God in his life. Joseph succeeded. He, he triumphed because the Lord was with him. He didn't become a successful man and then the Lord was with him. It says that he was successful because the Lord was with him. Verse 3 makes it even more clear. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord, Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So he saw that behind the hard-working hands of Joseph was the gracious hand of God, blessing him and prospering him. God was the reason for his success. So despite everything that Joseph had been through, it was because the Lord had blessed him that he was successful and because the Lord was with him. Now, brothers and sisters, we live in, in very prosperous times and, and many of us in our communities are doing well. We've inherited this amazing tradition, faith tradition that has come, our reformed heritage that we have. We have our own churches. We have our own schools. We've, we've set up our old, um, our old age care homes. And you just think there's, there's many brothers in our communities that have very successful businesses that allow our churches to have funds to be very active and do various things. You just think of all the mission work that we're involved in. 
And as much as this comes from much hard work and, and diligence, the reason for our success, like what we see in Joseph, is not because of we've stiffened the upper lip and buckled down and, and worked our way to the top, but it's because the Lord is with us. It's not as if our power and the might of our hands has, has gotten this wealth. Rather, it's simply because God has blessed us that we thrive and that we prosper. And so congregation, when you see favorable results at, at university or school, or when you receive a promotion from work, or your business grows, or your family thrives, the breast cancer goes away into remission, or when you are blessed with, with really good friendships and solid marriages, is that the success of your hands? Is that the sex, success of, of your hard work? Well, we have to say no, it's, it's because of God. It's because God has chosen to bless us, that we thrive and that we prosper. It's because of God's gracious presence in our lives that we, that we succeed and that we do well. And so we see that God is the reason for our successes. Now, we, now before we move on to our, our second point, we need to take note of something here in the passage. We need to take note of how Joseph... How when God blesses Joseph, that those blessings overflow to those who are in the whole household. You see, the blessings didn't just stop with Joseph. God's blessings to Joseph went to Potiphar's whole house. And verse, verse 5 makes that very clear. It says that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And then it says, the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field. That's everything. Everything was blessed because of Joseph. And we should think of the blessing that, that God gave to Abraham. He promised Abraham, he said, In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And here we already see a little glimpse of God fulfilling that promise that he made to Abraham so long ago. He's fulfilling that here with, with Joseph. We see that God is blessing his chosen people. He's blessing Joseph and by blessing Joseph, it extends and it overflows to those around him. And we'll see that continue as Joseph is elevated to the, the high, highest place in Egypt, the right hand of Pharaoh. We see that he continues to be a blessing to those around him. You see, unlike the rest of Jacob's brothers, I mean Jacob's sons, who had been a curse to those around him, this is the first time we see Jacob's sons being a blessing to those around him. And in this, as we see Joseph being elevated and, and granted greater authority and being a blessing to those around him, we ultimately see a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's ultimately through him that all the families of the earth are blessed. And so we see that the, the Lord was with Joseph in his successes. And then as we turn in the second point now, we also see that God was with Joseph in his temptations. So then our second point, the Lord is with you in life's temptations. So Potiphar wasn't the only one who took notice of Joseph. Mrs. Potiphar took notice of him as well, although for very different reasons. So Potiphar had some sort of financial interests in Joseph, while his wife had more erotic interests. Verse 6b tells us that Joseph was a, was a good-looking man. He was, he was handsome in form and appearance, the text tells us. And this seems to have been a family trait, something that he got from his mother. Rachel, we read in Genesis 29, verse 17, it says that Leah had soft eyes, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And so this is something that seemed to run through the family. Now, eventually, Potiphar's wife couldn't contain her desire and her lust. And eventually, that just bursts out in this statement where she says to him, Come, lie with me, Joseph. Tempting him. Lie with me. And we shouldn't underestimate the power of that temptation. If we put ourselves in Joseph's shoes, it would have been easy for him to, to justify or rationalize this temptation. He could have said to himself, well, I'm far from home, I'm away from the household of God, everyone's rejected me, who cares what I do? What does it matter? 
Moreover, if we think of, of who Potiphar's wife was, she was a very prominent woman in the household. A woman of standing. And if Joseph had her on his side, he, he could have done very well. And then also note that this, this advance, this sexual advance from Potiphar comes with some authority. She was his master's wife. He was a slave, a prominent slave, but he was still a slave. He could have said to himself, well, she's my master. I have to obey, I have to obey what my master says. So there was all these opportunities for him to rationalize this sin, but he doesn't. Rather, right away, he says, it says there, but he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And as he continues, he says, no one is greater in the house than I am, nor has he kept back anything but you, because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness against God? So there's an absoluteness in his words. There's no sort of wiggle room. There's no sort of hint of, of a negotiation that maybe he would be open to it at some other time. There's none of that. And this is interesting. Because sometimes we can have it where, where certain people think that rules and, and certain ethics don't apply to them because, because they're different or they're special. They have, they have high standing. They have wealth. Or they have an intense job that entitles them to, to some fun. But Joseph doesn't do any of that. He doesn't see his standing or his promotion as, a, as an excuse for sin. But rather, he sees it as a reason for his utmost loyalty. This was a sin against the generosity of his master. It was a breach of trust. But ultimately, as he, he says, it wasn't just a sin against Potiphar and, and his wife. It was a sin against God. How can I do this great wickedness against God? He describes it for what it is. This is a sin against the holiness of God. And that thought was abhorrent to him. And what we see is this doesn't stop her. She continues and persists in tempting him day in and day out, the text tells us. Seducing him with her words and with her actions. You could kind of see this as sort of a war of attrition. You know, he might say no today, but what about tomorrow? What about the day after and the day after that? But as the weeks go on and, and her determination to seduce him, she, see, she hatches this plot against him. And we read that he, she catches his garment, she seizes him and says, lie with me. Lie with me. And in an all or nothing moment, Joseph flees and leaves his garment behind. And brothers and sisters, this is a very powerful, powerful testimony of Joseph's faith. And there are many practical things that we can learn from Joseph's actions. Firstly, we can think of, firstly, we should know that we should just take note of what Joseph does. He describes the sin for what it is. And he does so in explicit detail. This is adultery. This is a sin against my master's wife. This is a sin against my master. And then he says, this is a sin against God. And if we think of our, when we're tempted, so often what Satan does when we're, when we're tempted with sin is he stops us from actually saying out loud what we're going to do. He stops us from verbalizing it so that we can easily justify it, so we can rationalize it. And so that's one of the first things we can note. The second thing we should note is, is what ultimately, sorry, I should say, notice that sometimes you just need to run. <coughs> Joseph drops his garment and he runs. You can think of what Paul says in, in 2 Timothy 2.22. He says, flee youthful passions, run from youthful passions, and pursue righteousness. And so sometimes when we're tempted, we just, we just need to run and flee and get out of that situation that is tempting us. And then finally, we should take note of, of, of Joseph's heart. We see that Joseph's heart was set on the Lord. He desired to please God. Sometimes one of the reasons why we succumb to temptation is because deep down our hearts 
aren't really set on pleasing God. And so maybe as soon as the external circumstances of our lives change, suddenly we fall and we fail and we succumb to temptation. And so those are some very practical things that we can learn from, from what Joseph does. But beloved, as as helpful as those practical things are, you will not triumph over temptation from hearing three practical steps of how to avoid temptation. Like Joseph's success, when we look at his success, it was because the Lord was with him. And his success and his triumph over this sin is also because the Lord was with him. God was present with Joseph. God was with him. God had changed his heart. That is why Joseph triumphed over this sin. We shouldn't see this as Joseph triumphing in his own power and then walk away thinking, if I just implement these three steps, well, I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to do fine against temptation. No, Joseph triumphed over the sin because God had changed his heart. God had worked in him. When Joseph says, how can I commit this great wickedness against God? That was the gracious work of God in him. And brothers and sisters, it's only through the life-changing work of, of God through His Spirit in our hearts that we can resist temptation and triumph over it. And it's only when we have our hearts set on God that temptation loses its luster. Now at this point, some of you may be thinking, what if I'm not successful in life? What if I'm not successful in in standing against temptation? Does this mean that that if I'm not successful and if I I fail to resist temptation, that, that God is absent from me? Maybe you have financial struggles that weigh you down or or maybe relational issues that strain your marriage or conflict in extended family. And you think to yourself, I try to remain faithful. I desire to serve God. You know, sometimes I withstand. Sometimes I'm able to say no, but, but the next time I fail and I fall. The next time Satan comes knocking. Is God still with you? Is God still with me? Where is the Lord in the trials and the chaos of our lives? Well, brothers and sisters, our passage shows us, that, shows us that God is not only with us when we triumph and when we succeed and when we stand against temptation. No, God is continually wish, with us, especially in life's trials and struggles. Joseph's loyalty and his, his determination to do the right thing doesn't solve all of Joseph's problems. As soon as Potiphar's, Potiphar's wife realizes that her plan doesn't work, what does she do? She, she screams and she, she makes a, an excuse of what she did. She, she accuses him of violating her. And like the brothers, she uses Joseph's garment to deceive her husband. She says, this Hebrew that you brought into this house, you brought amongst us, he came to laugh at me, he came to violate me, it says. And with that, Joseph is thrown in prison. Now, it's true that the punishment that that he received is is a more moderate punishment. The Egyptian law decreed that attempted adultery was to be punished with a thousand lashes and rape upon a free woman was punished even more severely. And so it seems that Potiphar didn't actually fully believe the accusations of his wife. But nonetheless, Joseph was still in prison. He may have received a more moderate, uh, moderate sentence, but he was still in prison. He'd been humiliated by the brothers. He'd been thrown into a pit. He'd been sold into slavery. And now here he was in prison with chains around his feet and a collar around his neck. And he may have thought to himself, what was the point? What was the point of living faithfully before God? Look at where it's got me. Has God abandoned me? And if you look at the whole story of Joseph, this is the lowest of the low in his life. This is the furthest that he falls. He couldn't fall any further. And then, brothers and sisters, at the lowest in his life, what do we read? 
But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. The presence of God continually surrounded him, even at this point in his life. God hadn't abandoned him. God hadn't left him. No, God's steadfast love, his enduring love, the love that says, I am your God and you are my people and I am with you through thick and thin. That love surrounded Joseph. God wraps him in his loyal covenant love. And what's amazing, brothers and sisters, is the author doesn't tell us this. When Joseph, when everything's going well for Joseph, I should say. No, he tells us this when Joseph is at the lowest in his life. It is true that God's steadfast love was with him when he was succeeding in Potiphar's house and with him when he stood fast in in the face of temptation. But isn't it amazing that it's here that we read when he's at the lowest of the low? That's when we read God was with him and his steadfast love surrounded him. What an amazing comfort this is for the people of God. If we just think for the original readers of this, of this passage of the Israelites, just think of, of how that would have been so comforting for them. You know, God had a purpose and a plan for them. It was a plan to prosper them, a plan to give them hope and a future. He had promised that he would, he would be with his people and he would take his people to that good land, the promised land. Where they would live and they would thrive. He didn't just free them from slavery and and let them go off. No, his presence was continually with them. And if you think of the Israelites, to know that all they had to do was just look at the middle of the camp, at the tabernacle. Where God had set everything up so that he could dwell with his people. It was a continual testimony that God's presence was amongst his people. And yet, if you remember, you read through that account of of the wilderness. And what is it, the very thing that Israel doubts all the time? They wonder, is God really amongst us? Or has God let us out here to die? As we walk through the wilderness, as we go through this grueling heat and even be attacked by our various enemies, has God left us here to die? That was what they struggled with day in and day out. And so often when you read through the book of Numbers, that's the very thing that they accuse God. They say, is God really amongst us? Well, for them, this passage would be such a comfort. A passage that said to them that, no, every step of the way, God was with them. In the ups and in the downs, God was there working, fulfilling his plan for them, bringing them to that place of rest. <clears throat> you see, unlike Joseph in the prison, the Israelites, they knew the rest of the story. They knew that God had brought Joseph to the prison for a reason. That God had brought him there to be an instrument of salvation in Egypt, where he would fulfill his plan to save Egypt and, and also fulfill the promises to Abram and to Isaac and to Jacob so many years ago. And so they could know that that same God was with them, accomplishing His plans for their lives. In congregation, the same is true for us. God's, that same steadfast love of God surrounds you and surrounds me. We are in Christ. We believe in Jesus Christ. The Lord's covenant love and faithfulness is with you. His grace and His mercy are are with us no matter what circumstances of life we're in. You see, Joseph's righteousness isn't meant to make us aspire to be like Joseph. But rather, as we have seen so so many times, he's a signpost of the gospel. He's, He's pointing us to the righteousness and faithfulness of our Savior. You see, unlike Joseph, Jesus was the truly righteous man. The one who feared the Lord in, in all that He did. He was the one that came willingly into our slavery, into into our bondage. And like Joseph, he was falsely condemned, unjustly convicted by a man who saw his innocence and decided to look away. And our Lord was faithful even to to death on a cross. And if we think of Jesus' darkest moments, 
when he was at the lowest of the low, experiencing that hellish agony on a cross, where was God, brothers and sisters? We don't read in the Gospels, but the Lord was with Jesus and showed him steadfast love while he's nailed to the cross. No, we read our Lord cry out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Why are you far from me? Why are you absent from me? And brothers and sisters, all of that happened. All of that happened so that you and so that me would never be separated from the love of God in Christ. That we would never be separated from that continual presence of the Lord in our lives. Congregation, our Lord doesn't leave us as, inf- as orphans. Saving us from the bondage of sin and then leaving us to fend for ourselves in the wilderness of life. No, God has sent His Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, to dwell in our hearts so that we might never be separated from Him. Just as God's covenant love surrounded Joseph and surrounded the Israelites, His covenant love surrounds you and it surrounds me through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, brothers and sisters. And so that means whether you are experiencing the joy of triumph and success in your life, whether you have resisted Satan's temptations, or whether you find yourself in trial, broken and failing, you can know that God is with you, that His presence wraps around you, that He's with you with His steadfast love and faithfulness. He is there accomplishing his plans for you like he was accomplishing his plans for Joseph and for the Israelites. And those plans were to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a glorious future. If we just think of what our Lord Jesus said when he ascended into heaven, he said, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let's now sing in response Psalm 118, verse 1. As we come before God in prayer, we will also give thanks with our brother and sister Neil and Carmen Gurum with the, the healthy birth of, of their baby boy. And then we'll also remember the birthdays of our brother Hank Hoovink and also Henry Spanerman. We'll give thanks with them as well. Let us pray. Almighty God and steadfast Father, we give you thanks. And we praise you that you truly are the Emmanuel, the God who is with us. We thank you that you never change, that you stay the same and that you will stay the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We praise you that that just as you never change, that your steadfast love for us in Jesus Christ never changes. 
And that your steadfast love and faithfulness is with us in every stage of life, in our success, when we're doing well, in our temptations, when we stand against the attacks of the devil, and in our trials, when we're struggling, when we have failed, you are with us. Father, we praise you for that. We thank you that the Spirit of Christ dwells in our hearts, and so that nothing separates us from your love for us in Christ Jesus. And Father, we pray that you would be with those in our midst who may be struggling to believe that you are with them, who see their struggles, who see their trials, and think that, that you are absent from them, that you have left them. And Father, we pray that you would encourage them, that you would make your presence known to them, that you would hedge them in behind and before, that you would be a father to them. O Lord, may all who hope in you be with your love surrounded For Lord, in you alone we trust. And so we pray that we will never be confounded. And Father, we also give thanks and we rejoice with those in our congregation who have experienced your love and your faithfulness to them. We think of our brother and sister Neil and Carmen Gura. We we praise you for the, the gift of life that you have given to them. For the birth of their healthy baby boy. Lord, you are the author, you are the sustainer of life. And we praise you that you have carefully and you have lovingly knit together little Andrew in her mother's womb, in his mother's womb. We give thanks to you for your goodness to this family. And we pray that you would be with them as they settle into this new stage of life. We pray, we we give thanks that that you extend your, your covenant promises not only to us, but also to our children and to our little ones. And so we look forward to the day when we will be able to witness the baptism of this child of yours. And so, Father, we give thanks with this couple and we, we praise you for your goodness to them. And Lord, we also thank you for blessing our, our brother Hank Hoovink with another birthday. Lord, a milestone birthday, 80 years old. We pray that you would continue to be with him. We praise you for your faithfulness to him in his, his life. We thank you for blessing him and, and his wife. And we, we praise you for your goodness to them. We ask that they would have an enjoyable time as they celebrate this milestone together with family and friends and that we pray that you would continue to be with them and that you would surround them in the next year of of life. Father, we also pray for our brother Henry Spanneman who is also celebrating a birthday. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to him and to his wife as well. Continue to bless them, watch over them as they go into this new year. May you... uh, be a hand and foot to them, that you would be with them and guide them in this next year of life. And so, Father, we rejoice in what you have given to us, in our brothers, in our sisters. And Lord, as we come, Lord, as we finish off this, this, this um, service before you, we pray that you would receive our, our songs of praise, that you would receive our offerings for the ministry of mercy, that they would be a sweet-smelling aroma to you, And that we would honor you in all that we have done. And we pray that you would forgive us where our worship has been unbecoming. Where we have not worshipped you as we ought. And Lord, may you cover us in the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray, we bring all of this to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You now have the opportunity to give of your gifts. And as it is written in the, uh, the liturgy, it's for the ministry of mercy. And as you do so, remember the words of Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith.
As you go from this place, receive the blessing of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.